Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Show, where our mission is to inspire, influence, and impact other immigrant entrepreneurs. My guest today is Brickham Dallas, the founder and the owner, I would say, of Hello Sugar. Welcome to the show, Brickham. Ali, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I was doing some research about you and, you know, when we connected, I was preparing for this episode and man, I was just blown away. You have resided in nine countries um, and obviously you're back in the U.S. right now. You're an American. Um, yeah. Tell us about a little bit about yourself, but also we will get later to to the um, experiences that you experience while being abroad and becoming or building the businesses or the business that you have today? Yeah, sure. So just kind of a little profile of who I am right now. Uh, 36 years old. I am an American, so I'm not an immigrant to the United States. But when I was 23, I was living in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a very homogenous community, like white, male, female, kind of non-traveler community. And I didn't know it at the time because I hadn't really traveled, but I was very claustrophobic. I was just like, it was too the same. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt like I was in this like bubble and I, and I had to get out. And so I uh, packed my bags, bought a one-way ticket, and I moved first to Belgium. And when I was in Belgium, I, uh, and, and I'll tell you about the vocational side of things in a second, but everyone just talked about how cool Thailand was. And one day I was like in this restaurant, it was like midnight. And I overheard this couple of me like, I just got back from Thailand. It's so freaking cool. I'm like, that's a lot. That, that's a sign right there. That's a sign. And so I moved to Thailand. I lived in Thailand for a year after that. Again, just out of a backpack. And this started off my, my journey. I built a business over there while I was there. And then for the next six-ish years, I lived out of a backpack. And I would travel until my visa would run out and I'd pick a new country. And every time I pick a country, this was a, a really unique experience as a, as a traveler you know, it was like, I'm in this country, I have this long until my travel visa runs out. What could I do that would change my life in a very mm -hmm. impactful way? And so if I had three months there, for example, I would say, what's like a goal? Mm, that one's not long enough. That one's too long. What's a goal that I could use for the rest of my life that I could really accomplish in this time? And I have a very obsessive personality. And so I would just all in on this one thing, all in, you know, and then in three months time, it would be like, I either did it or I didn't. And I would spend most of my day just learning skills that I would use for the rest of my life. Um, so examples of this is I learned languages. Uh, I learned how to dance salsa and bachata. Uh, I spent a year <laughs> in Spain, just like literally just going to classes for 20 hours a week, dancing salsa and bachata. Uh, um, I learned how to edit videos, how to code websites, do SEO, do PPC, which is like the Google online stuff. Um, yeah, I was just like, I was just like, okay. And I learned how to, how to have a good relationship. That was another very positive one. I, I was in an Island I'd gotten engaged and then that didn't work out. And I, I went to this Island. And I was like, what did I do wrong that made this relationship fail? You know, that's the question I wanted to answer. That was my thesis. And I just spent all day trying to heal, but at the same time, learn how I could be better in relationships. Um, so I spent three months with that as well. So yeah, so mm -hmm. that's my like immigration story. What brought me back to the United States was actually a girl. Uh, I was living in Paris. I was living in the Canary Islands, dating a girl in Paris. The girl thing didn't work out with Paris, but she moved to Utah. And I was mm. like, you know what? Let's just try it. So I moved to Utah. You know, we'd had this like relationship abroad communication thing for like six months. It wasn't set in stone per se. You know, it wasn't like we're like, we're an exclusive couple, but we were like 
vibe you know what i mean like it was it was good and i moved back to utah and two weeks after it just dumped me it goes to me it was <laughs> I was like, you couldn't have told me that when I was in freaking Spain, like halfway around the world, you know? And so that brought me back to the United States. Um, and then, you know, through a series of events, I landed in Phoenix and started Hello Sugar. And you stayed, obviously, right? You didn't go back to Paris after, after this um, relationship ended. I, I should have. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> awesome. So... Um... Hello Sugar is an empire um, today, you know, I was, I was looking up at your numbers and the numbers of franchisees that you have. It's amazing. We'll get there soon. But before we get there, so would you mind telling us what, I, I'm just curious, what was it, the business that you built in Thailand at the age of 23? Yeah, so I'm going to start off. When I, was in, I was, when I was in school, there was this guy that came to my school that had a huge impact on my life. I don't remember his name. I don't remember his business, but he started, mm. he started a drop shipping company. And I remember him coming and talking to the class and I, I raised my hand and I was like, wait a minute. Like you literally deliver a product that you've never seen in your life. He's like, yeah, that's right. Like you ship it from somebody else. That's right. So like you could be sleeping and a sale comes in and then that sale gets delivered from another person. And he's like, that's right. Like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I need a business like so bad. Like I wanted a business more than a girlfriend in college. And wow. so I looked for everything. I looked, um, I was down the streets. I was, I, was, I was like, oh, what about diamonds? Diamonds are expensive. Like, what about saw blades? And like, I was just like, I was so many random things. And finally, one day it rains and this worm crawls across the ground. And I look at the worm and I'm like, maybe? maybe worms that sounds cool and so like i go online like right afterwards and i look up fishing worms and i'm like okay i don't know how to build a website i don't know anything about like worms but i can definitely build a website better than this guy like the number one right. guy right so uh -huh. i was in i was in school for the summertime and i drop out and like i just go to the library nine to five again obsessive personality i read books on seo coding websites and like you know all that and by the end of the summer i had a fishing worm website and then fast forward, this is like a 22, right? <laughs> fast right. forward like a year. And it was like the number one fishing worm website in the United States. And I was selling like a million worms a year. And like, uh, I was, I was poor still. Okay. Still college mm -hmm. poor, but I had enough money that I could drop out of school and, and travel. And mm -hmm. by enough, I'm talking like 1500, maybe $1,800 a month on a good month. Okay. So it mm -hmm. wasn't like I was rich, <laughs> but it was enough that I could drop out of school. Right. Right. And so that's what I did. And uh, that started my entrepreneurial journey. And when I got to Thailand, I was living in this bungalow. And I was living in on this island. And I, like, there's nothing to do on islands. Okay. Like people right. are like, oh, the dream is to go live on an island. That's that's a dream for like one week. And then you realize there's nothing to do. So, you know, you don't, you're not like, oh, let's go to the beach. Like you live on a beach, right? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> there's nothing to do. Like, <laughs> And so I got lucky. I was, it was like this Yoda, Luke Skywalker situation where like the bungalow next to me was like this SEO expert, which is mm -hmm. SEO is like how you rank on Google. So you rank up on Google. Mm -hmm. And so I just went to school every day. It was like time for school. Tell me everything. And he's bored. I'm bored. So he had tons right. of time to teach me things. You know, if I mm -hmm. lived in the States, like nobody's going to be like, oh, I'll, I'm going to go teach you things all day. Like, People have lives and they have things to do. Mm -hmm. And like, that's just not a thing that happens where I could just go learn from some expert at something all day long, every day. So mm -hmm. he would teach me, I'd go read books and study. And I, I use lynda.com a lot, which is like a, um, 
online video thing. And I learned how to do not SEO, but PPC, pay-per-click advertising. And I found some clients through like SEO people. And I was like, look, you do SEO, I'll do PPC, share the info with your clients and I'll give you a kickback. And that's how mm -hmm. I started. Um, so that's why I started in Thailand and I built that for the next four or five years. Um, and I built that into making about $130,000, $140,000 a year. Uh, wow, it was that's like a, a lot of money. For me, it was more Back than then. I ever dreamed of. And this was Back like, then. this is like after four years, right? So for three years, I was making two to 3,000, three to 4,000, like not a lot of money at all. Mm -hmm. But it, again, I lived out of a backpack. I don't need a lot to live, mm -hmm. right? And so it was okay. It was like a rolling stone gathers no moss. You know, when you live out of a suitcase, mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, I want that shirt. It's like, I got to right. carry that shirt. Like, I don't want that shirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. All right. So, you know, one thing, I mean, starting at the age of 22, 23 and connecting all these things and seeing all these opportunities to become an entrepreneur, I wonder, did you have someone in your life, in your family that was kind of a role model you looked up to and they were entrepreneurs and you're like, hey, this is what they do and the, 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 the way they do business, that's what I like and that's why I'm getting into entrepreneurship. Or what was it like? No. <laughs> I did not. No. <laughs> that was a hard no. <laughs> no. And you know what? I'll tell you one thing I've learned, like, or I've, I've reflected on over the years is like, you ever hear that high school dropout millionaire story? Right. It's like, oh, I'm a yeah. high school dropout. I'm now a millionaire. It's because he had to, right? Uh -huh. It's like the immigrant story. It's either you mm -hmm. work at McDonald's because you have no education. That's the high school mm -hmm. dropout story. Or you figure it out. Mm -hmm. It's like the immigrants, like... You don't. You have an accent. You don't have a lot of money. You don't have relationships with the people. You don't have connections to to get into a good job. You have to figure it out. You have to start a business a lot of times, like to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing for me. It was like I'm in Thailand, and I either can pick coconuts for a living. That doesn't sound too enticing. Or I could figure out a business. Like that. Mm -hmm. That was my options, right? I didn't. I couldn't go get a job at a big four consulting firm and and do that. I had to figure it out. I think that resonates a lot with entrepreneurs and, and immigrant stories. Absolutely. So you had to feel, you, you had, uh, you know, so to say you're back against the wall, you know, I need yeah. to, I need to eat. I need to, I need to eat. sleep. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. I told myself so, I had enough savings for, for most of the time in the beginning, I had enough savings with, for a plane ticket home. And I told mm. myself if I ever got less than the plane ticket home, I would buy the ticket. And that was my gotcha. cutoff. And so gotcha. other than that, I just kept on going with, with, the, with the pace I was at. Right, yeah. right. So obviously you, uh, you, you didn't get there, you know, made, uh, pivoted. So what was, what was the next thing that happened for you? And um, how did you go from making PPC now? What was the next step? Yeah, so I had the money to live. The 130, 140,000 was like my living money. Mm -hmm. But I... I was doing, I had a client at the time that was really scammy. He was selling diet mm. pills, dick pills, testosterone pills. And the concept was we'd put, we put ads onto Facebook and it was like, like, let's say like Jennifer Lawrence, we just used somebody's like image. didn't matter who it was. And we'd say like on the, on the ad, it would be like, why Jennifer Lawrence isn't scared of the D word. And they'd be like the mm. D word, what? And then go click on the ad and be like Doritos. Oh, wow. She can eat Doritos because she takes this diet pill that allows her to like eat whatever she wants. You know, it was like the scammiest, dishonest thing. Mm. I hated it. I, I, I hated it. And I, I found myself in this business and I was like, 
I couldn't sleep at night. That's kind of how mm. I felt. And I, I had to get out. Um, and I just, I needed a little bit of money to like pivot. Right. So, I mean, this was a, a significant chunk of that 130 was coming mm. from this client. And I was like, okay, like I, I want to pivot, but I need something. So anyways, one day I was in Utah and a friend of mine was like, oh, I had to pay like $20,000 in taxes. And I was like, $20,000 in taxes. Like how much money do you make? And she's like a hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, what do you do? And she's like, I'm an esthetician. I'm like, you, you cut hair? No, I do Brazilian waxing. Brazilian waxing. Mm. What's that? I had no idea. And so, you know, I thought like this is like, you know, hair around the bikini line, like just for going to the pool and stuff, like a summertime gig. No, it's like women in relationships get waxed. That's a thing. I didn't know this. Mm. Uh, and I thought they made money like, you know, like cosmetologists, like hair people. Right. And I was like, oh, it's like, it's okay money, but it's not like, like, you know, mega bucks. And she's like, no, like I do 15 minute Brazilians and I charge $45. So I make $180 an hour. Like, good grief. You make more than a lawyer wow. with six months of school. This is amazing. Mm -hmm. I was like, how much are the, is the product? And she's like, oh, it's like three bucks. I'm like, wait, so I could hire an esthetician. I could pay them commissions. So I don't have to pay hourly wage. I like that. The esthetician is went to school for this. So this person is like looking for a career, not just like a job, you know, like, at, at a fast food place they're looking for a career they're paid well so they're gonna stay and hair grows back every month this is mm -hmm. the most amazing business out mm -hmm. there like this is amazing like i i have a recurring revenue stream i have a low cost of good and i have a fairly high priced item that i can do in 15 to 20 minutes help me so she came down i spent three thousand dollars you know at the time it was like not like making a ton so i was like okay $3,000 and I built my first salon in the back of a plastic surgeon's office. And this is like a key business principle is like, start small, right? Like mm -hmm. a normal salon costs $400,000 to build. It takes a year of your life, you know, and you have no idea if it's going to work. I had no idea. I, I didn't, this would not have worked if I went that route. So what I did mm -hmm. was I put the salon inside of a plastic surgeon's office. I did all the reception myself. Um, and I got it to a point where like, <clears throat> I was making enough profit that I could pay rents at a big location. And then I took that concept, I took all the members, I took my first esthetician, and we moved to a larger location. I spent 120000 So it was still way under like the, total, the normal spends. I mean, it was, it was like makeshift. Like I was using like friends to build. I was like paying the Hispanics under the table to help me out with things. Like mm -hmm. it was 120000 I scraped by all my credit cards maxed, all the loans I could take for my Dallas Media Company maxed, everything I had in the bank gone. Wow. And my mom flew out to Arizona and she worked reception one day. I worked reception the other day and we just did that until we could build the business. And you basically had, sorry to interrupt you, uh, but you basically had zero knowledge about the business. You had zero knowledge about what Brazilian wax was when you got into this. And also I, you know, as, as far as I can understand, is there was no such thing like, hey, I built this business plan first for six months and then I went and figured out the market. No, you just went all in and, and you know, learned by doing. Is that the way uh, it was? Yeah, and I think the key here is I went in all in but fast and mm. low cost. I think that's the key for entrepreneurs to understand. Like, you could go in and do this big, massive business plan. Like, I have... Look, we, I'll tell you the franchise concept in a second, but it's not that expensive to start our franchise to start. It's kind of like the same concept of like you build a salon suite. It's a 10 by 10 room. 
it's like 50, 60,000 to get that started. And then you're up and running within three months and you're making profit, you know, within mm. the first five to six months, typically people are making profit after about four to six months. So it's like a very low hanging fruit to get started. And, um, and then once you're actually up and running and you can prove the concept, then you move to a bigger, the same exact model is how we do it. And I have people that come to me and they deliberate for a year. And I'm like, dude, you could have been profitable for a year if you mm. just like were fast about this. And so I think the concept that I, I want to emphasize here is, you know, start super small, but start fast. And if you fail, you fail fast. No big deal. I, I spent $3,000, right? And probably mm. three months of my life from the time I thought of the idea to the time I opened. I mean, it was, it was like that. And if I failed at this, I'm going to fail fast and then I'm going to pivot to something else and then build that up. Right. Luckily this didn't fail. So, so where would you, when you get started, when did you realize, okay, we have something here that we can build on number one and where would you get your initial clients from? Yeah. So the initial clients were all group on. It was mm. all like word of mouth. And then it was all like just seeing my like location on, on Google maps. Um, that was the way I started. And the thing that like the magic sauce is, you know, I came from that scammy diet pill industry right. and it was all on memberships. So they would send them a monthly bottle of pills. Like that's how it worked. And then you basically go until you realize it doesn't work. And then you like cancel your subscription. And so it's the same kind of concept of, uh, but this actually works. Like the hair is gone. It's like ethical. It's like honest, you know? Right. Uh, and so I, I built a monthly membership and that was like a, a first in the industry. Everything else was packages, discounts. If you come more times like loyalty, but no one was doing memberships. Mm. And so I made it super simple, super easy to get involved in the membership. You can buy it for $7. You save about 20% every time you come in, charge it on the first of the month. You got a credit for the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is this all is this also something that you would say still to this day differentiates your business from everybody else that is out there or what is it? Why why have you guys grown so much? Yeah, so to kind of like let the audience know a little bit about the story. So I started franchising 2021. Now it's 2024. It's the beginning of January 2024. And we have 77 locations in the franchise. That's unprecedented in mm. any franchise industry. Like it, it's unheard of that that happens in that growth, unless you have something really special. And I believe by the end of this year, we're going to be at 200 locations. I mean, we're wow. absolutely exploding right now. I mean, wow. it's, it's incredible. Uh, good profits, good, healthy business, really great team that I've built around this to help this grow. And uh, yeah, I think we have all the things for success. So <clears throat> like what differentiates Hello Sugar? And, and I, th I started thinking about this. There, there are two things that were really important to me. Number one is I didn't want to be the salon or the franchise that takes a royalty. And a year later, everybody is just kind of like, kind of miffed that they're paying the 6% royalty and not getting much out of the franchise or so take a model like Sola salon or just salon suites, right? I actually think it's a great business, but a year into it, you know, everything you need to know from the franchise or, and you're just paying a royalty for the next 20 years. And you're like, oh, I, I hate these guys. Right. Mm -hmm. I wanted a, a really good working relationship. So what we built was we said, okay, we're going to help run components of the business as part of the franchise or, which is risky because there's the opportunity to get sued if you do it poorly. Right. But it allowed us to have this marriage that was like always like working together. And I really like that idea. Um, the other thing is the low startup cost. There's no startup mm -hmm. cost in a franchise this low. Um, for for most part, you know, like there's there's some there's some unique businesses out there, but like in this industry, no, it's usually 
$400,000, right? 50,000 for a franchise fee. Our total all-in cost with your like reserves is 60,000 to get started. So how do we do it so cheap? Again, we do a 10 by 10 room. We do it inside of salon suites, again, salon suite model. We just kill it with the advertising. And cause that was my, my background's digital, right? So mm-hmm. we do all the TikTok, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the, t- the Twitters, the Snapchats, the, gr- the grinder, right? The um, Tinder is like everything you can think of. We like mass produce on advertising for people. And we fill salons by the time they open. And we, we're so good at booking the appointments, the technology behind it. We have AI for the, the, the booking process. We're so good at that, that the cost is way lower than working at any other place. So I told myself, look, even if you started your own business doing this, you couldn't do it as cheap or as effective as being part of this franchise because your cost of reception is way higher than ours because we figured out the AI and the tech and we do a lot of the reception overseas. Your cost is going to be way more than that. Just that alone is going to save you more than the franchise fee, the royalty. So like we found these really good win-wins with the company. What is what is the profit margin that the franchisees usually look at? Yeah, I got to be careful because as a franchisor, like you can't right. just like say something and be like, "Oh, this is how uh-huh. much you're going to make as a fr-. like." You get sued for that, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I only can tell you what's in our item 19. And what's unique about Hello Sugar is we publish every most item 19s is like this. This, this is okay. Back up franchising. Franchising is a lot like stocks. It's like very regulated industry, right? So we publish this FDD franchise, like federal disclosure document. Okay. And in there you have specific things. Have you been sued? What was the outcome of the lawsuit? Um, like what, how many locations are open? How many clothes? Like literally everything. And there's just one thing that you publish called the item 19 and it mm-hmm. tells all the financials of your business and you can publish whatever you want, but if you don't publish, you can't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you ask me that question and my item 19 is blank, I could say I'm legally not allowed to tell you. And I think mm-hmm. that's really weird. Right. And so we took a different approach. We said, look, I don't care the business is failing or not. You're going to know about it. We literally published the P and L's of every salon opened from inception, um, from the start, anything that's been open more than a year published. So, you know, like there's no like hiding it and it's all in there. Right. And so I can say that the average suite, uh, does about 65,000 profit a year. The top quartile does 110,000 profit, but that's not the goal. The goal is not a suite, right? The goal is that the suite proves the business model. You incubate it. And then after about a year, you build into a flagship and the flagships are where the real profits are. Mm-hmm. And so our average flagship is doing about 175,000 profit with the top quartile doing 250,000 profit. So does it require for a franchisee to have a suite first before they can open a flagship? No, it doesn't. It doesn't require okay. that. A, but there's, I like this model. So like, I, you know, I'm a very risk averse person in general. Right. Like I, I don't want to like my name's behind this franchise, right? Like you're starting something with a belief in not just the business, but the people helping you build it. And so I don't have data about every market. I can't tell you if it's going to work or not. We thought mm-hmm. Miami was going to be the best market in the country. And it wasn't. Um, oh, it was a very competitive. Yeah, it was a very competitive market to get into. We put a salon in Miami in Coral Gables, which is like next to the University of Miami. And I thought, man, it's going to do so good. And within walking distance of our salon was six other, like five other salons. Mm. We were six salons within walking distance of each other, all doing Brazilian waxing. It's hard to stand out in the noise when you're a brand new company and these others are more established, you know, even with the marketing that we're doing. So it was a tough market for us. Um, 
And so I don't know, right? And I, what if we mm -hmm. spent four hundred thousand dollars and somebody trusted me and I built something like that and and it didn't work, right? Mm -hmm. But with these salon suite concepts, what we're able to do is we're to take that those six like in, in there and we said, okay, we learned something here. We learned that we can't be by a bunch of salons and make that work. And just this month, we're pivoting that location to um, like a downtown Miami area near Edgewater, which is like way fewer competition. Like the closest salon is like 10, 12 minutes away. And there's a ton of density there. And the reason there's nothing in there is because it's hard to get a business in that area. But we can get a salon suite there, but we couldn't get a, like a brick and mortar mm. store in there. So it, it actually worked out really well for that transition. And that's what also is really cool about these suites is like, if it doesn't work, you learn and you pivot. Mm -hmm. That's okay. You can pivot these. I mean, it takes a week to build them. So it's really easy to move it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. So yeah. what is the requirement for some, someone who is interested in becoming a franchisee and, you know, is thinking about it and they want to know, okay, what do I need in order to qualify? Yeah. I mean, well, cash is the first thing. So about 50, 60,000 and either ability to put on a credit card, cash. I want to make sure that, you know, all of their expenses, they can still handle a two to $3,000 loss a month mm -hmm. um, and carry that, you know, just in case things were like really South. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so most people keep their full-time job running one mm -hmm. of these salons is maybe 10 hours a week tops. And you could run two for about 10 hours a week. And we do a lot. I'm not going into tons of it today. We do a lot right. of automations that keep the salon management very low. And so um, it's not a ton of work. Most people keep their full-time jobs. As long as they have some cash in the bank, they can buy, buy into it. And there has to be a territory there. The other thing, though, this is very important to us, is we're not selling territories, right? We're, we're a franchise that's building a business with you. That's the relationship that I believe with our franchisees. So we're strategic partners, and we're looking for people that we like, trust, and respect. If they don't have those things, if they don't pass the vibe check, I don't, mm. I don't let them in. Ali, it's like, this is the way I think about this, okay? I, like, it's like if you're in Africa, right? And you're like the gazelle, you know, the gazelle, mm. he's like drinking water in the stream and everything. And he hears a noise, like in the bush. And, and the first thing he does is like, what, what the heck was that? What, oh, oh, is that a lion? Mm. Okay, it's just the wind. Like, that's the kind of like right. false positive, right? That I want to have about franchisees. Like, I'm like, that person did X, Y, and Z. Nope, I don't want to let him in the franchise. Like, forget him. Like, he's, right. not, he's not our people, right? Mm -hmm. I don't care if they bring money to the table. Like, I want the right people to work with because it's a marriage for the next 10 years. Like, we had this guy, he was... <clears throat> He was like always a little like ruffled in meetings. Like he was like, yeah, man, I'll slap down. I'm going to build three flagships right away. Like he was like, you know, he had mm -hmm. a lot of money and he was ready to invest and build this, but he's drinking a beer like during our like session and his, like his <laughs> life was chaotic. He was always answering the door and like his kids were always screaming in the background. Oh, so, wow. like, I could just tell that this guy just like, like was a magnet of chaos. Right. right? And I was like, I, I don't want that in my life. Right. I, I'm mm -hmm. okay where I'm at. I, I don't need a lot of money to live. I lived out of suitcase. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about making relationships that I like, trust and respect the people, and that we have really great people. So a lot of our franchisees are 25 to 35 years old. Mm. Actually. We have older as well. Like it's not like we're ageist or anything. Like we have we have older people in the well in the franchise, but we have young entrepreneurs who are just getting started, just like I was when I started the franchise. Um and it's cool. We have a really cool group of people to work with. Mm. And how many, how many franchisees uh, or branches um, do they usually own when a franchisor comes to your 
ecosystem or to your world? How, how many branches do they usually own? Depends on the city size. So, you know, smaller cities like that are like towns, you would say, it might mm -hmm. be a one-off like location. But if they're a bigger city, I like to see the economies of scale. I like to see a franchisee that can get to two to three locations mm -hmm. uh, at a minimum, right? So I'd like to see that build up. And if they're not really able to build to that level, I'm not going to allow them to open in like a larger city because I want to see right. multi-unit owners. Uh, there's just right. economies of scale that are nice. Like if an esthetician calls out sick and you got a salon 15 minutes away, you can pull from that other salon to help fill so you don't have to cancel appointments that day. And they handle all the team and the employees and everything, right? The franchisees. The franchisee is mainly responsible for managing people. That, okay. That's what a franchisee does. And that's why it's only okay. like, you know, five to 10 hours a week. I mean, really, we stock the rooms once a month. So, you know, you order supplies, stock the rooms. We actually provide offsite managers overseas. So we have a talent recruitment company that finds, we're agnostic to country, that finds the best talent that has either been to an American boarding school, you know, studied at a, at a really prestigious university overseas. And mm -hmm. there's prestigious universities you've never heard of, right? Like there's schools in like Barcelona that, you know, you would think, they could rival Harvard, you know, mm -hmm. and you just have never heard of them because you don't live in these countries, right? So we find really prestigious schools. We find people that speak perfect English and have like a really strong American culture background. And then we hire them and we provide uh, full-time healthcare. We provide PTO and a lot of different benefits to them. And then we charge the, we charge the franchisees $14 an hour. And that provides hourly rate that's like way competitive for their country and all those other benefits and provides a overseer staff that helps like manage those people. All mm. of that's included at $14 an hour. And you only need like five to 10 hours a week of these OMs to like manage your business. And so with that, I mean, your time is like maybe five hours a week to manage these. Yeah. Yeah. That's... So one thing that came to mind, do they also the franchisees other than the, the initial investment being 50 to 60 K, do they also need working capital? And if yes, how much usually? That's included. So typically it takes about 45,000 to open the salon. Mm -hmm. And then about 10 to 15,000 I put for working capital. Like a very good glide ramp would be lose 3,000 the first month, lose 2,000, lose 1,000, and then break even. Do they need to have any sorts of industry background, knowledge, being a business owner before? Or no. is it like, no, you don't need that. No. You just come and we help you get started. Yeah, because like, you know, as a franchisor, it's like, how do we, how do we make it so you don't fail? Right. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's what a franchise, you're buying that. You're buying a business in a box when you buy a franchise. And so what can we do to eliminate the variables that could cause failure? One of the biggest ones being eliminated was reception. So reception is part-time workers, hourly wage, minimum wage. They don't care about your business usually because they're making minimum wage and they're going to school. You know, this isn't their career. It's a job. It's not mm -hmm. a career. Right. And, you know, so an esthetician brings them up to the front desk. They get checked out. Oh, how's your appointment? Oh, that's cool here. Do you want to buy a membership? No, that's okay. You know, like they, they don't really have the culture of the company. And plus you're managing a ton of people that are just there for a short amount of time. They're part-time workers. A lot of times you go without reception and the estheticians don't know how to check people. It's a mess, right? It's almost a whole other business. And we just said, we don't need them. We don't need mm -hmm. a receptionist. We do all of our calls and everything overseas. And 
when people are in the salon, we have the estheticians check them out and there's way more continuity between somebody bringing them to the front and checking them out as a, as an esthetician than there is leaving it in the hands of somebody else. It's a lot easier to say no to a stranger than it is to say no to the person that you're naked on the table with <laughs> getting a wax from, you know? Right. So it's, it's a different like connection that's built there. So that's just an example, but like other things like, uh, so like, that's a huge example, but other things like the, the, the marketing, we do all of the advertising. We have a full production team that we build commercials. We, we put those commercials online. We do commercials every month and we put them online. We test them in Arizona and the ones that work, we syndicate across the entire salon, across the nation. And we test those. We have a full team that manages that for them. So they don't have to do anything about marketing. You know, so marketing's mm -hmm. out of the picture. Reception's out of the picture. Even managing the salon. We have an OM that helps you manage the salon. Like literally the amount of work involved in that is very minimal. Uh, and so it's a, it's a fun business. You know, it's, it's mm -hmm. one that you have a good connection to your staff. You really have a lot of time to actually focus on your staff and build that up and, uh, and to build something that is, you know, sizably profitable. I mean, I've got mm -hmm. 14 locations in Phoenix and we do close to 10 million revenue a year and I'm making, you know, seven figures on this business. It's, it's been really a blessing for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, I do have a couple of questions in regards to, you know, how did you build this empire? Is it self-funded? Did you get outside investors? That's number one. Number two, next question is, hey, why, why thinking as big as you do and deciding to, okay, we're going nationwide, we're building this as a franchise other than, or having, you know, just a couple of, um, just a couple of branches and being happy with what you have and focusing on, let's say, Phoenix or Arizona. And, you know, hey, it's good what we have. But where does this mindset come from? And my first question, how did you fund it, the whole, the whole project? Yeah, it's all self-funded. Um, so five years into the company, I had maybe nine locations. Um, I was still doing my advertising company because I was scared to like mm. let it go. I had nine locations and, you know, I built a pretty decent sized business and I wanted to do a franchise. I had no idea how hard a franchise would be. Like, it's like a one in a million shot to build a franchise or a company is very, very difficult. And it's difficult because you have a lot of externalities that, that don't depend on you. So I figured it out in Phoenix, but I've never done it in any other market. I don't know what Austin, Texas or Miami would look like. And if you, it's almost like a luck of the draw. If you pick the wrong market and you fail, your business is dead in the water. Okay. So I did, I took a unique approach. I, I didn't care about building a nationwide empire. Most people, what they do is they find, they take their business, they build a profitable location, they take it to a broker and the broker is like, what are you looking for in a business? And you're like, oh, I want to be an owner operator. Oh, here's some restaurants that you could try. That's a cool concept. And you know, they've got tons of territories and, and they'll sell like 20 that first year. And then a year later they're open and most of them aren't doing well. And then, so the people that come after, like, I want to talk to your franchisees and the franchisees are like disenfranchised because they didn't do well. And then the business is dead in the water. That's typically how franchises go. And that's why they were one in a million shot. What mm -hmm. I did instead is I, I, I went to my internal company and I found a really amazing receptionist and a really amazing trainer. And I said, I will fund your first salon. I paid $20,000 to both. You know, gave a credit card. They can only buy things for their salons on the credit card. And we found a location, one in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is a ski town, and one in uh, Tucson. And they were my first franchisees. Mm -hmm. And luckily, knocked it out of the water. 
the one in Flagstaff, 70,000 person town was like 18 at the time. And by the end of the year, she's making six figures. So she's going to school and she's quickly realizing no matter what job I get when I get out of school, I'm not going to make as much as I'm making working 10 mm -hmm. hours a week at my salon. Like, like, right. like, what are your roommates thinking? She's like, uh, they just see that I buy a lot of Amazon packages. Like, she's like, <laughs> I, like I don't know. I'm like, what are you going to do when you graduate? She's like, I'm going to be a PT, a physical therapist. I'm like, yeah, that's going to change. Like, mm -hmm. you're not going to work 40 hours a week to make less money than you make now. Like, that's dumb. And uh, the one in Tucson took a little bit longer, but she also is making really good money now. I think she's making six figures. And, and so I had these stories that I could share. So I, I first did that. And then I went to my, to my best friends and I said, look, try this out. This is what's happening so far. I will do it with you. So I picked a town, they picked a town, and we both, all three of us built franchises in these different cities. And all of them, I, I'm very confident are gonna become millionaires from Hello Sugar uh, in, wow. in the near future. Uh, next one to two years, I think they're going to be making s almost close to seven figures off of this. One has eight locations. One has, I think, 10 locations now. He's like three years in, 10 locations. Uh, they're doing amazing. And I built Nashville, Tennessee at the same time. And let me tell you, Ali, we had challenges like I'd never seen. I never mm. thought that it would be so hard to take a business and start in a brand new area, especially when I live in but it was, it was very difficult. And I'm so grateful for these two that they were like very good entrepreneurs and very like willing to work with me, right? They're best friends, right? So they, I'm like, look, this could fail, right? Like, and it's, and they're like, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I want to be part of this. And we built that together. And, you know, many nights at midnight on the phone being like, what the heck do we do about this? You know, but strategic partners, that was the idea. Mm -hmm. And then I brought in my, um, in the very beginning, I brought in my TA. I was teaching at a university in Utah. I was teaching a class on how to start businesses. Brought in my TA, he became my COO, and he like built all the systems in the back end. Like he just loves building systems. And so we did that. And then we started offering it to other friends and connections that we had. And then last year we finally opened it up to the public. We're like, we have a product that we believe can like be to the public. And so it was a very slow growth. Very slow growth. Uh the first year and the last year, you know, the goal of the franchise is like it's it's like a tech company. So I just want to invest all the money we make into building something really freaking amazing. And when we get to like 300, 400, 500 locations, I'll take a sizable paycheck from this. But for now, like I think in 2023, the franchisor, we made like 150,000 profit on 77 locations. We mm -hmm. invested almost everything back into the company. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're self-funded. We are healthy within our means, but we're very much self-funded. And the question of why, why not just stay in Arizona? I mean, look, I'm, I'm making millions off of Hello Sugar, Arizona. I make more money than I can. I, I live on probably $6,000 a month. Like I literally, mm. I, I don't need that much money to live, but the, the, the margins are great on this, right? So why, why the big franchise? Well, I was, I was teaching a class. I, I was really blessed. I, I was able to teach a class that they gave me full autonomy to teach. And so I taught a class called how to start a six figure income for $3,000 or less because hello sugar. I started for $3,000 or less. So did my worm company. So did my Dallas media company. Everything I did was $3,000 or less. I didn't have any money. Right. I was a college, a college students don't have money. I thought mm -hmm. that was a good like name for a business. And I, I just found my calling in life, which is helping people start businesses. That's my calling in life. Um, I love that idea. And I remember being on a plane and I was thinking about, uh, this, 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 this receptionist who now she's from Iran as well. She's Persian. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And I remember thinking like her family for generations is blessed mm. from 
her decision to start this business at 18 years old. And I've been able to help not just her, but her kids and her kids' kids and kids' kids because of what she's been able to build. And she's going to have this entrepreneurial story and she's going to give that to, and I was like, well, what about all those estheticians out there that are struggling? They could start these salons in like these small towns and like, this could be amazing. Like we could build like an empire and blessing the lives of so many people across the world. Like, I, I love this idea. I freaking like get goosebumps thinking about how many people we were able to help. Mm-hmm. And that became, you know, I could take my calling, which was teaching and helping people start businesses and do it within my own business. Mm-hmm. Freaking awesome. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And so mm-hmm. we very quickly shifted. Franchising is a, whatever your business is, the franchisor business is entirely different from that, right? Like it was a totally new business to start this compared to running Hello Sugar. Um, mm. And it was an amazing, an amazing challenge that we've been blessed to be part of. That's amazing, man. And I also believe, you know, when you get really into your, to your core mission, then, and do what you're really called into doing, then everything else becomes an amazing byproduct of this, which is, you know, the money starts flowing and the cash keeps generating and you get to, you get to uh, hire and partner with amazing people that otherwise you would not have to. So, but one thing that I was just, as I was listening to you stood out to me is when you, you said we also face challenges and had to go to, you know, to challenges. I was talking to my other partners or uh, business partners. One thing that I imagine, I have never been a franchisee nor a franchisor, but how do you maintain and keep the brand standards now that you have other franchisees involved that see themselves as the business owner? Hey, now I have this business. I'm the owner. I get to dictate what's going on within my business. So how do you do that? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I, you know, I go to franchises, like I'll go to a restaurant concept and I'm like, this is happening because it's a franchisee and not the franchise. Like it's not the main owner, right? Like it's like somebody who's not really checked into the business as much. And that's like, that's the gazelle story, the false positive. It's like, do you have the right partners that you have the relationship with to be like, yo, you gotta, you gotta fix this. Right. Luckily we're still small. I have that relationship with all my franchisees. Um, but there are opportunities to fail. I had a franchisee not following the pattern that we have. And so, you know, I, I write into the franchise contract. I write in there that if, if things go awry, we have the option to audit your business and charge you fees to retrain your people. And that's painful for somebody. But if they're not following the pro- pattern or the protocol, if they're not like, you know, staying to brand, I'm going to fine you until you get back on mm-hmm. brand because that affects everybody else in the franchise. And, you know, I tell people that coming in. So, and, and that's what, that's what will happen is I'll recertify your, your team. You know, it's not going to be huge penalties. I mean, 50 to $150 at a time, you know, I'll retrain your people and, and make sure that they have what they need to succeed so that our brand stays on point. But there's other things that happens. Like uh, there's stories I can't go into detail with, with ours, but like, I'll give you a story from uh, another franchise. I had a guy who didn't want insurance um, because it was too expensive. So he gets the insurance as the franchise ever wanted. And then he cancels it like a month in and he mm. gets his money back from that. And then he gets, uh, and uh, one of his employees sexually harassed, molested one of the clients and he goes to jail and the client wow. now sues the franchisee for all they're worth because, you know, this is like a life changing event, rightfully so. And he doesn't have insurance. So who do they name in the lawsuit? The franchisor. 
Hmm. Now the franchisor is on the hook for millions because of what this franchisee did. Um, you know, and so there's these like things that like are really challenging for mm-hmm. a franchise that don't happen because you know you're uniquely running all the salons yourself. On the other hand, you have the most amazing franchisees that like I could never run a business as well as because they're in another state, they're in another place, but they're, they've got one or two locations and they're like all in. Right. So they're making this the most amazing location and most amazing relationship with their estheticians. I was just commenting on this, uh, yesterday. So our, one of the things that I find is a problem with hello sugar, Arizona, we don't have high retention. Our retention right now is averaged at nine months. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We, we fired too fast last year. We didn't keep people long enough. We didn't put enough programs for retention, but we pay better than anyone in the Valley, in the Phoenix Valley. We're the highest paying salon in the Valley, I believe. The franchisees who are just starting out, haven't built their books, keep people on longer than us. And it's so interesting. Like here's the, they don't pay as well. They don't have mm-hmm. as much structure. They don't have benefits. They don't have an HR director but they keep their employees longer than us. Why? Well, it's because they can create this amazing relationship with their team that I just, I'm, people that work for me, I've got a hundred employees. Like, I don't know everybody's name. I don't know your background. You don't work for me. You work for Hello Sugar, right? And so we've got to figure out as a, Nash, as, as, a as a brand, how to do things as well as these franchisees that are doing it like really well because they can create those relationships. That's the strength of the franchise, and that's the downside that like not being able to control the brand if you get the wrong owner in of the franchise. <laughs> mm, that's great. I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, I I imagine this to be challenging because when you want to keep the standards high um, as a franchisor, then there's a lot of work involved, you know. And yeah. I believe also it starts with picking the right partners and not as as you as you said, you know not just going with everyone who is interested and has cash sitting on their bank account and knocks on your door and is like, Hey, you know, um, yeah, I I want to be your, your franchisee. Yeah. You know, like Ali, it's easy to say this, like, Oh, just pick smart people to work with. Duh. But it's very hard to do. And I'll tell you why, because in the very beginning of the franchise, it's extremely expensive to run a franchise. Um, we get audited every year. The audit's $20,000. We have to update our, our FDD which is like that financial document, our lawyers cost four to $500 an hour, right? So that's another 20, $25,000 a year. Uh, our team has to eat, right? Our mm-hmm. team that helps you build your franchise has to eat and they have to help, help you. And the royalties in the very beginning, if it took you, if your franchise took a year to get off the ground, well, you're not making royalties until they're actually making money. It's probably another six months. So it's like 18 months until there's actually a ramp up period to those people making money. Luckily for us, you know, we can do it within three months. You're right. We can build something in three months. So, and we were a two man show. It was just me and Keaton, the COO, for like the first year of the company, right? I mean, we were working 70 hours a week. We did everything. It was a very, you know, challenging time, but we were, we were at least able to stay afloat, right? Most franchises can't do that. And so they take on anyone they can get in the beginning because they have to, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't have a choice. They have to, like, they have to have some money to keep this mega cash sucking machine floating during that initial process, or they take private mm-hmm. equity money to build it. That's the other option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to someone, you know, who is looking into build an empire like you did and you do, and maybe also to 
multiple and even maybe eventually build a build a franchise what advice would you give them yeah i think it's important to look at like look at yourself in the mirror like some people look i i do pretty well on camera I've, you know i've been on podcasts a bunch i i speak fairly well from working at university but some people will will be so shy to get in front of camera mm. right so look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself like is this for you do you like the idea of spending your nights and weekends working on a business? Do you, do you, do you like the idea of not ever checking out of your business? Cause you never checked out as an entrepreneur. Does that, is that okay for you? And if it's not okay for you, then probably entrepreneurship isn't the place to start. Or the other thing is like, do you have the cash to fund a business? You know, most of the time in the beginning we don't, right. And so we need investor partners and stuff, but the people that say, you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm really enjoy the idea of building a business. This is for me. Then if that's you, I've got two things that, that for you to think about. One is there's service businesses and product businesses. Service businesses are for the cash poor. Service businesses, you do the service and then you receive a paycheck for it, right? Product business, if you're going to build something, you're going to have to get a patent. You're going to have to build a large quantity of this. You might have to make molds. It's going to take... Fifty to hundred thousand dollars to get off the ground, and you have no idea if it's going to work. Six months, nine months from now, it could work, it could not. That's that's a very cash-heavy business. So if you don't have cash, think of a service business. Now, if you're not the full entrepreneur type, like you're not the person that you know wants to spend the nights and weekends and don't care about making money, like they just they want to be in control of everything. That's an entrepreneur. There's those hybrid entrepreneurs. There's intrapreneurs that are like they like structure, but they're not like the full entrepreneur. Franchising is amazing. Because you're still an entrepreneur, you're still building your business, but you have, in my case, 77 other success stories and mm -hmm. partners that are helping you build your business. And a lot of times, and people don't know this, if you pick the right franchise, it's a lot better than starting it yourself because you know, you're up and running right away. You don't have $250,000 to invest in AI to build a reception platform like we do at Hello Sugar. But you, you know, because you're a one-off salon, that's, that's what, but, but if you join a franchise that has 77 locations, the cost benefit of the 77 locations make it possible to invest in technologies that make your business cutting edge, right? You're not going to invest in like the, the best designer in Phoenix to build your, you know, location. But, you know, if you have 77, you can do stuff like that. So, and then the other thing that's really cool about franchising is you might not have $500,000 to build a business, but the government backs franchises unlike they do for entrepreneurship most people don't know this so mm. there's something called the sba the small business administration and you can get loans from banks that fund from the government to help you start a business well if they're franchises they the government sees them as more safe they're less risky because there's a lot of them that work right and so you can get an sba loan for 10 percent down to start a franchise that you could not do for your own business so you become like, you know, leveraged far easier on a franchise. So the franchise has, you know, good backing. It has the ability to like help you create economies of scale right away. It gives you like the opportunity to use debt leveraged financing at 10%. There's a lot of benefits to a franchise. So you could just scale a territory. Uh, so I, I love the idea of franchising. If it's the right franchise, there's a lot of crap franchises out there, but if it's the right one, you know, it can be an amazing opportunity for people. Right. And one thing that I, that I can relate to myself, ask me how I know, is that entrepreneurship is very, very, very lonely, you know, and being, 
and being a franchisee i'm not i'm not giving advice to anyone who that should you and this is also you yeah. know just a just a chat between you and i but i also imagine be, becoming or being in the right franchise is also okay now you get to talk to other franchisees get their experience and advice how they do things and also get to tap into the franchisor and you know to their to their um experience and expertise is I've never right seen an or... industry as collaborative as franchising. I've mm. never seen an industry as collaborative because, you know, we're running a multi-unit brick and mortar store that classifies lots of things, right? Like those mm -hmm. are restaurants, those are other service businesses like massages. There's like cookie crumble, multi-unit brick and mortar stores. That's, that's what these are. They're, the businesses are very similar across the, across the fields. People are so helpful in franchising. It's so much of a team collaborative effort. Within our franchise, we do a trip every year. So the first trip we did was Tahiti. Last year we did Iceland. This year we're going to Belize. And nice. these trips are amazing because mm -hmm. all the franchisees connect, they have fun together. And then we have WhatsApp groups that are like very active on. Um, and you know, it's like the, the, the franchisees are talking all the time to each other and building off of their business experiences. So yeah, building an entrepreneurial business is lonely. A franchise is like collaborative. It's like mm -hmm. fun. And that's like half of the strength of what the franchise is. Somebody's mm. there to tell you, wait, if you do that, that's a bad idea. Try this instead. I've been there. Right, right. You know, one thing, again, we're not giving advice, legal advice or any sorts of advice <laughs> here. We're just sharing. One thing that I also get, I, 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 I'm interested in hearing your ex experience in that. I get to, to talk to a lot of investors, international business people. Some of them want to um, come to the U.S. Some of them have come to the U.S. One thing that is very common is the E2 investor visa, which requires mm -hmm. a, you know, an upfront investment. In a, they literally call it, you have to put your funds at risk. That's what they call yeah. it. And I'm yeah. not an attorney. I just experienced that in my own, in my own life. That's how, why I can talk about it. So I can imagine that, you know, this would be also a great model for somebody who wants to, who wants to invest in a U.S. based business and, you know, get their, get their, um, what is it called? Um, their visa? Investor visa. Yeah. To come to the U.S. and be able to work and stay. Have you ever worked with anyone outside of the U.S. who, and, you know, guys, we didn't talk about this off camera. So I'm literally <laughs> yeah. asking because I don't know if this is the case or have you experienced this or no, it's uh, very new. To you. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a couple of things that go through my mind. Like maybe Hello Sugar might be the right fit for the right investor person, but other businesses like definitely. So we, I do a bunch of like franchise expos and franchise conferences and it's filled with immigrants. And like mm. the one in Miami in particular, they're like, I'm looking to come to the US. I'm just looking for my visa, finding a business so I can like get a right. visa here in the United States. It's a thing, right? When I'm mm. in Chicago, it's like 90% Indians at this conference. Oh, wow. And they're all looking for like a business to start to like open. They're so entrepreneurial, the Indians. I'm, I'm so amazed by that. And they're looking for franchises to be a part of for that specific reason. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's really a thing. For me in Hello Sugar, uh, if I'm going to bring an immigrant into the business, I have, I, I love the idea of immigrants. I love it. They've mm -hmm. got to be able to connect and relate to estheticians. And estheticians are an interesting breed. They're a very connection-heavy group. They want to be able to relate to that person. So I don't care if they're an immigrant, but 
their culture and their ability to speak English cannot be a hindrance in the connection to the esthetician. For for me personally, that's that's a a red flag. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what what is the conference called? That might be uh, a well, good place like, for me to connect. Yeah, franchising. Uh, there's franchising expos and franchising conferences. So okay. there's there's a group that puts on these like franchise expos. I think there's one in right. Tampa coming up this year. I, I'll, I'll get you that info so you can go to it and check Perfect. them out. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay, so um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a great conversation with you, and also thank you so much for sharing all your experiences and and expertise on the franchises, but also in general in how to become and be a business owner. What is the advice that you would, with all the things that you know, experience, lessons learned, that you would give your younger self who was about to get started becoming an entrepreneur maybe later down the road and then becoming a um, franchise or what is the advice that you would give your younger self? Yeah, I love that question because it's not like my advice is going to be very different to myself than I give to somebody else. Right. You know, uh, so my initial advice is find a mentor who's done it before. Mm. I live on the backs of mentors. Uh, I, board of directors is what you call it at a big company, but it's essentially mentors. And the other advice that is unique to me is get insurance because you're going to get sued. <laughs> get insurance. Especially in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get sued, especially the U.S. You're going to get sued. It's going to be some bogus lawsuit. And mm. it's going to be highly stressful for you if you don't have insurance. Um, mm. and, it, and it's going to feel like it's going to cripple your business. So make sure you have quality insurance. It's worth paying that for it. That's like mm. a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we bootstrap and we're like, oh, I'll get this like later. But that's not one thing you want to bootstrap. You want to mm. have insurance. That's great advice, man. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So please tell us where can people find you? Where can people connect with you? And if anyone is interested in becoming a franchisee, how they can apply for it and um, where do they find you? Yeah, you can just Google Hello Sugar Franchise. Um, you'll find us like Hello Sugar Brazilian Waxing Salon Franchise. Uh, the website's hellosugar.salon. Um, and then you just go to the franchising page and you know it's a two-second form. Fill that out and we'll, we'll connect with you. And we, you can learn more from that. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show and um, giving all these valuable information and advice away and sharing it with other with our audience and um yeah i um really enjoyed this conversation with you and glad we connected ali truly it's been a pleasure to be on your show you're an amazing host thank you so thank much you.